In celebration of opening day, we've got a special episode of The Moth Podcast for you. The theme is baseball and the surprising ways it connects people. I gaze out at the players on the field and then I, uh, I look over at my dad and I, I realize that in the silence between us that something has changed. It's like I'm seeing him for the first time. Two stories about baseball, family, and so much more. The episode's available right now. Subscribe to The Moth Podcast to make sure you hear it. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. It's Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. There's Salt Lamakia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. Baseball isn't Boring. There you go. Once again, we are screaming it from the mountaintops today. We're sitting down with President of Baseball Operations for the Minnesota Twins, Derek Falvey. And it's a good time to talk to Derek because his team is doing very, very well. He, his team is among other teams who are, are making this thing spicy, making this whole season uh, zigging where it might be, a lot of people might think it would be zagging. And by the way, speaking of zigging and zagging, let's go. FanDuel. FanDuel. Every moment matters, and we appreciate FanDuel jumping in and being part of our family. So we talk about the Twins. The Twins right now are sitting first place in the AL Central at 11-7. and They are a team that is rebounding, but there's a lot of teams. This is what's so great about the standings right now. You see so many of these teams – who are you're like doing the double takes when it comes to the standings, and you, you, they're they're actually paying off on their promises. Uh, we're going to be good eventually. We're going to be good eventually. We're going to be good eventually. It's early. I get it. It's early, but th- let's be honest. It's fun to see some of these teams in the mix and playing well. And usually, what happens is that you have that enthusiasm that goes with it, because the, the, the fan base is like all of a sudden it's a shock to their system. It's cold water thrown over their head. Wait a second. We got a good team this year? Yeah, you do. All right. Let's go. Let's get excited. So, obviously, the Twins are part of that equation. And when we talk to Derek, we talk about a ton of interesting stuff. And and we really appreciate all the executives that come on, the GMs, president of baseball operations, all of them. Um, of course, we ask them the important questions, such as the, the love affair or their, their take on ketchup-flavored potato chips, starting with Alex Anthopoulos, and now it's just gone from one GM to the other, another GM to another GM. And, of course, we asked Derek that. But, 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 we get into the, the art of the trade, the art of the just the good old-fashioned baseball trade. In this case, Pablo Lopez, Luis Arise, boom, boom, there you go. And it, I thought it was so interesting I'm talking about the mindset that goes into that. Also, the art of the extension. Now, he couldn't really talk specifically about the Pablo Lopez extension, but he's done other extensions. And obviously, this is this is a huge, huge part of the conversation when it comes to baseball and executives and team building. We've seen it more and more and more. And he gives his take on how extension comes about, how you do an extension, and why extensions may be viewed a little bit differently than they did or a couple years ago. But I mentioned the standings. Listen, Baltimore, 11-7. and They're in second place in the AL East. Minnesota, like we said, 11-7 at the top of the AL Central. Texas, Texas, we said it. We told you. Pick the click. 12-6 and right now. 
three games up on second place Angels in the AL West. And also three and a half up on Houston, four and a half up on Seattle. New York Mets, well, they're hanging with Braves. The Braves are off to this 14-5 and start. The Mets are hanging. And then how about this? The Marlins, you know, this they might not be at the top of things. But 10-9, representative. Skip Schumacher, great job. There you go. All right, now, the NL Central, that's where it gets a little wacky. You have the Brewers, who are a juggernaut, 14-5. and five. And then another pick-to-click that we had, David Ross's Cubs, 11-6. and six. And then a team that has a ton of friends of the program, Mitch Keller, David Bednar, and, of course, Rich Hill, Andrew McCutcheon, the Pittsburgh Pirates, 12-7. and seven. Good for them. And finally, 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 I mean, I don't think this is a coincidence. You come on Baseball Isn't Boring in some capacity. You send a representative of your organization on Baseball Isn't Boring. You're probably going to do well. Well, there you go. You know what? The manager and the GM both came on our podcast of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Both of them. It's science. And sure enough, here they are. First place, NL West. 11 and 8. All right, it's getting it's getting exciting. I mean, I like I love the fact that you have all these teams who now you have to like pay attention to them. Now you have to figure out why they're doing this. And we we of course didn't even mention the Rays. The Rays are still rolling along. I mean, they're 16 and 3. So that goes without saying. We've talked about the Rays enough. But it is a great time. And it's a great time to really figure out how these teams operate and one of the people who are operating such teams is Derek Falvey, president of baseball operations for the Minnesota Twins. Just, I appreciate it. He took a ton of time, sat down with me. Uh, it's a great conversation. Rate, review, subscribe. Most importantly, listen. At BB isn't boring on Twitter, on Instagram. Go find the, the merch, swing juice, T-shirts, hoodies. We'll have more, we'll have more baseballs and boring stuff that you can, can proudly wear all across the world and also of course a damn near perfect game some stuff coming up with that the book a damn near perfect game uh off co-authored by myself and joe kelly all right well check it all out it's all part of the equation but today uh the the most important part of the equation is this podcast with president of baseball operations for the minnesota twins Derek falvey all right, my friend, why isn't baseball boring? That's why I start every podcast with, and I, there's no wrong answers. Do you, do, you, do you have a good one off the top of your head? Oh, uh, why isn't it boring? Well, yeah, see, that's, that's the first thing that everyone says. Yes, why isn't it boring? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I, my thing is I love the game of baseball. I'm probably going to be biased. You know, it's what I grew up with. It's what I grew up in this park with. It's, uh, it, it's just truly a game where if you really understand the strategy behind it, the time and the decisions that get made in the unique one moment over the course of a nine-inning game or in some cases a ten-inning game that you think is the, the difference between winning and losing, it's a, you can appreciate it. It's a beautiful game. You know, it's, that's along the lines of when we had A.J. Preller on, he had said how there's not another sport that things can change 
in such a, a so changed so dramatically at, at a moment's notice at every single pitch. So over the course of a game, 140 times, everything can change, right? Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you think about it in the wild card era. I remember back in my career in 2013 in Cleveland. I remember a, a one game playoff is probably the most clear where this shows up. You give up a home run early, a multi like multi run home run early. That's the game. That's it. That's the rest of your season. So when that happens, you know it's a pitch decision. It was it the right selection? Was it execution? All of those can rest on one moment in a game, and that's ultimately win or lose. That's a good answer. You faced this so far, <laughs> uh, but um, and then of course. I warned you about this, that we have, this is also the second most important part of any ketchup-flavored potato chips, which, which by the way, we talk, I, I don't want to spoil it. So, so I, as I explained to you, I ask every time a GM or executive comes on, I ask them a very important question. This stemmed from Alex Anthopoulos' passion, passion for ketchup-flavored potato chips, yay or nay, uh, or just overall thoughts. <laughs> so so I'm a nay on them overall. I will say that. But I do remember as a kid, uh, at one point in time, them showing up at school lunches uh, at one point. And I remember they were they were probably associated with the hot dog that day. But ultimately, I don't remember liking them that much. I do remember having to have them from time to See, time. See, I don't... I, that baffles me. For, for, first of all, I did not think they made their way south of the Canadian border. And second of all, that was a few years ago. I mean, it wasn't you were on the, you were in the vanguard of the ketchup flavored <laughs> potato chip. I mean, maybe so. Maybe it was just a one-off brand that made a, a version of them. They stick out so much in my mind from one moment in my youth that, uh, and not in a positive way. Maybe that's why. So the other part, the other thing that we mentioned is again, we'll get to the real questions in a second, but the most fit GMs. Um, as I told you, uh, that I had Mike Kazin. No, Jerry. Yeah, Mike Kazin told me that basically you have to start with the Cleveland guys. <laughs> so that clearly means that you have seven percent body fat since you came from there. Uh, so, so who? Give me your power ranking. The most fit GM. Oh, it, it's first place, and there's no second place in my mind. It, it is Chris Antonetti. It's my former boss and mentor out of Cleveland. I've seen him work out, uh, whether it's at four o'clock in the morning at spring training or or late uh, during a game, even you know at seven eight o'clock. So he is—he's—he's intense, um, but one one of the most wonderful men in our game, and ultimately, but definitely the most fit. No question. All right. Well, so so we've solved a lot of the world's problems so far. (laughs) Um, So congratulations on all your success. You guys are off to a great start, and 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 there's a couple of things I do want to like get your perspective on. One of them is is we talked about the trade that you made, the one for one trade. Obviously, Pablo Lopez for Luis Arise, and so. it is, as we just said, it is such a rarity that this happens. And as we sit here right now, it looks like it's just a really, really good, solid baseball trade. And and it, it, me saying that is sort of like, oh, everyone's like, oh, well, of course. Oh, good to-. No, these you, we can't say that a lot. We can't. A lot of times we have to wait a couple of years to say it, whatever. Take me through that, if you can, about why this isn't more prevalent this one for one just you need this I need this let's make the trade and how that came about well I think that you know for why it doesn't happen often I think is because when you have a player established at the major league level like we had in Luis Arise who's a good player who's well liked in our clubhouse it's a really hard thing to, to let that player go somewhere else and to get even to get good value elsewhere you don't see a lot of major league for major league trades now fortunately in this deal for us you know while it was one for one at the major league level we actually got additional prospect value on top and Jose Salas and a young kid Chorio who we think adds to the value of the deal. You know, we had Luis, 
Arias control for three years. We had Pablo Lopez for two uh, in that deal. We added more value in the prospect side. But for us, it was about we felt our position player core was was deep enough to, and it's not easy to trade the batting champion from last year, but to get a guy to pitch near the top or at the top of your rotation was a really hard thing to do. We bet on Pablo's upside, growth, long-term potential, and ultimately are, are, are making a, a bet that we can continue to build the right core around the position player side and maybe have to acquire that externally via pitching. Is it is it um, more difficult when a pitcher's involved? I mean, I think that this is this is uh, it, 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 I, I get it. Like a good player is a good player, but when you're talking about pitchers, is more of a, a, a sometimes it's more of an uncertain thing, and maybe, and also you're a little bit wary. Maybe I don't know. So is it a little bit? more difficult when a pitcher is involved. Yeah, it makes it more difficult because of the process that you're trying to assess, the risk associated, because I think what you're getting at is health, right? And we know that injury risk associated with pitchers, just a little higher, right? Just knowing the way this plays out, that's true across baseball. So our view of that is, but I think if we operate from a place of fear, and in a place of concern about risk, we'll never take some chances that ultimately are the things that hopefully make our team better. And I think in Pablo Lopez's case, yeah, there's risk. You know, pitchers can get hurt. Position players can too. We recognize that there's upside here that we are hopefully tapping into over these years to give him a chance to pitch maybe beyond as well as he's pitched in Miami, which is already a good baseline. So before we get to Pablo, you know, where did you learn that? Give me there's this example of because I, I see I've seen GMs where they're paralyzed, or the perception is that they're paralyzed about that fear. You coming up, where did you learn that sometimes you just have to cast that aside, you have to jump in? I don't know if there was a certain trade or a certain message or anything like that. Yeah, you know, I think early on in my career, as you're coming up and you're learning about it, you're always looking at the value of the trade, right? That's just what you learn. You know, what's the right value? Are we giving up too much? Are we asking for too much? And I learned that over time in my years in Cleveland. And, you know, we joke about Chris Antonetti, but he's truly my mentor and one of the people that I've seen make those decisions at the right time. I would say the one that stands out for me is that the 2016 trade deadline in Cleveland when we went and acquired Andrew Miller out of the bullpen uh, for some of our premium young talent at the time uh, that we felt was a real a real value add in that moment. That was critical to our success down the stretch. Obviously, Andrew played a meaningful role that team getting the World Series. Then I take this job on and I'm in Minnesota and decisions had to get made along the way either to trade away guys in years we weren't performing the way we wanted to. It's really hard to trade a young trade Eduardo Escobar who's a leader on our team who's a great guy in the club but a package that included Joan Duran yeah. was a was what came out of it later. And you can't articulate that perfectly to your fans at that moment in time. But the way I look at it is if I can wake up every day, I look in the mirror and I say, did I do what I thought was best for our team at that moment in time? No matter what the blowback is, one way or the other, that's how I want to do this job. And ultimately, this past cycle and coming out of the lockout, whether it was a trade for Sonny Gray or a, a move to go acquire Carlos Correa, you have to be decisive in those moments. And I think I've learned that over the time. When did you feel like that that you truly locked in on that in other words became pushed aside any sort of anxiety especially when you become the, the main decision maker I mean when you're you're part of the, the crew I mean when you're the, the guy the buck stops here guy it's all right let's do it do you feel like you're some more secure of that even than when you took the job at the beginning with? yeah no doubt you Rob you're you're hitting the nail right on the head which is as a number two or number three or number but until you're in that spot and the buck does stop with you and you have to make that call you can't prepare for that 
So then you do it the first time, and it's uncomfortable. <laughs> and then you realize, okay, I have good process. I have good decision-making principles in place. And then you keep building on those. But there's no substitute for that experience. And now that I'm seven years into doing that, I can think of moments coming out of the lockout last year when we had to jam six months of an off-season into two and a half weeks. Um, we made a lot of quick decisions. That was acquiring Sonny. That was the Carlos Correa the original signing for us. That was those moments. I was prepared for that because I knew I had good process. I knew I was ready to execute on those. And then the same thing again this offseason. So with that in mind, like, let's go back to the trade for Pablo. Um, can you take me through? I always love this stuff. I always like. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, when we I had asked Alex Anthopoulos about when he did the Acuna um, deal, I said, when was the first conversation you had about that extension? Was it like a Chili's in, in Dunedin or something or whatever it is? But but and when it comes to Pablo Sandoval, what what do you remember about when this guy first got on your radar? Because that's how it works, right? He gets on your radar. Yep. You follow them. Yep. You keep track. So, what do you re- what do you remember about? You know, that? it's funny you ask that because it, people would probably think it's all within this last cycle. I remember we were watching the Marlins two seasons ago at the deadline and thinking about where we were and how we would build future pitching. He was a little bit younger, right, and coming up and trying to figure it out, dealing with some stuff along the way, still maturing at the major league level. And we said this guy has some interesting upside. Then our scouts and our staff, who we lean on, you get all the reports, and I read them, and I'm constantly reading. I'm, I'm looking for more and more information. Now, everyone focuses on the data right now and the analytics stuff. To me, it's about information. Right. And some of that's from scouts. Some of that's from player development staff members. Some of that's from an agent who knows a guy and more information that way. And we kept hearing about this guy's work ethic, aptitude, ability to adjust, learn, and you saw it in his major league progression. You saw him get better. You saw the pitches improve. You saw his body get better. You saw all these things happening. And so, ultimately, when we acquired him, you know, it was with, we had done two seasons worth of work on understanding who is this kid? What's the makeup? What's the upside? What can we bet on? What are the risks? And ultimately, we felt we had a good, full portfolio of information for us to be able to make that decision off of. Are there guys like that? And, you know, there's probably other guys like that, but there's guy, other guys, like, for him, where it just, it just sticks in your head. Like, it sticks. I saw that report, and that stuck in my head. And that's going to, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm scanning the box scores today. Oh, that's the one that... And you're constantly sort of not even consciously maybe even thinking about him, but he keeps popping in your head. Yeah, here's a good piece of scouting info that always popped back in my head, but it actually relates back to when we acquired Sonny Gray. So Sonny was with the Reds, obviously, and I had I had seen Sonny going back to his Vanderbilt days. And I remember the area scout who knew him really well talked about how much of a bulldog this guy was. How, like, he, there was never a game. Yeah, he might be a little undersized. He might not look the part of the Pablo Lopez or 6'4", big, big, big body. But this guy found a way in tough spots to fight and get out of those spots all the time. And it just happens to be the case that I watched that happen last night. Right. You know, you watched him fight and battle and find a way and never give up and never give in. So when we're acquiring a guy like that, there's information in my Rolodex, so to speak, on him from six, seven, eight years ago that's in my head from when an area scout said that about him. That's amazing. That's, I mean, it really is. You talk, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, we, we won, I remember this is going back when Moneyball first came out, which I don't know if you know that's a book and a movie, right? <laughs> well aware. All right, right. So, so I remember J.P. Ricciardi saying this because he was in the middle of the A stuff, right? And he said, you know, listen, at that time, everyone wanted to take a side. Everyone wanted to take the scout side, the analyst side. Everyone, it, it, it was so, it was like so territorial. Contentious. Right? No doubt. I mean, you remember that? I mean, yeah. Yes, it, no question. Yeah, and so 
and now like there's still a little of that but I think it's it's less like the reality of it I mean it's like people don't under, people like yourself and people in your position understand to your point it's all information right exactly. it's all information and 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 these players you're talking about I mean but don't you think that's changed a little bit hundred yeah, I absolutely agree with that I think that unfortunately analytics sometimes has become this word that creates this certain reaction from everybody that oh there's too much data it's I think I equate it to this when you uh, are thinking about your retirement portfolio and you're talking with your financial advisor you want them to be evidence led and have some instincts mixed in but they better be looking at the data and thinking about how it's going to match your risk profile right. and what you want to do long term it's the same thing for us when we look at a player yeah we have our eye evaluation and our subjective evaluation we have experienced scouts and staff that are watching them and giving us feedback on what they think about that player we also want to know the underlying well how you know what's the spin rate on the fastball how's he hit it you know how what about the swing characteristics that we think can change and lead to more consistent contact or more consistent power all of that information I'm charged with trying to figure out what are the right pieces what can we bet on and I think if you're turning a blind eye to any source of information you're not doing your job yeah. and so our view is let's take it all in let's sift through what really matters and what is going to impact a player's career and in player development and scouting and at the major league level we're, we're applying it we're applying both sides of the subjective and objective as much as we can which brings us back to Pablo and so Pablo when you get you make the trade for him and then now you make the trade okay like you said I feel confident I went through the process I did everything and then he shows up and now you meet you know you're meeting I don't even know have you ever met him before no never no. personally right no, never personally across the field so him. nice to meet you I traded for you yes. and um and so uh and then you're like you're, you're sort of monitoring does everything line up and, and, and you try not to I would imagine you try not to be like peeking around the corner sure. but but it's like this is a big this is a big deal right so as it went on did you're like okay like I, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing from the coaches it's lining up yeah I would say there's a couple of things that stand out for that I remember when I called him when we made the trade so he was home right it's the off season so you're typically not seeing him face to face and on the phone immediately just talking about how thankful he was you know for, for that that we wanted him and that we felt this was the right fit, that he had heard good things about the organization, and that he committed to trying and what two things he said. I'm committed to getting better every day to make you proud of this trade and, and ultimately oh, me as a player, but also to helping my teammates get better too. Okay. And I thought that checks all the boxes for what we had heard about him. Then he comes in, I remember Twins Fest is our winter carnival setup and he came in for that. You could tell interacting with teammates was really easy for him. And then he gets to spring training and he's he's talking to our pitching coaches and our analysts and the people that have different ideas for him and he's constantly asking how do you think I can get better and so when he makes that development to what now is being termed the sweeper you know that right, right. Yeah, the slider yeah. it's all him trying to learn as a way to get better and add something to his mix because even at this stage of his career he doesn't see himself as a finished product and that was what we were hoping for you want that growth mindset idea all the time how can I be better than I am right now the best players in our game I think have always done that even when they get to the later stages of their career and the other part of that about that is you want a guy like that in your clubhouse no doubt I mean right I mean this is he's a young guy he's a young guy but young guys hang with young guys and we can't always 
have the the wily veteran will speak to the young like you need the the right young guy right absolutely well when I look at our team and I think about what Carlos Correa brings on the position player side what he and Buxton do kind of together as leaders Christian Vasquez I've already seen it in our clubhouse yeah. the way he can do that having someone like that also on the pitching side not that we didn't with Sonny Gray we have sure. here with Tyler Malley Joe Ryan's a, a continuous learner I think now Pablo just adds to that mix and elevates the rest of them and I think when you have guys like that as some of your best performers or also those kinds of human beings and they care and they want to get better every day hopefully that bleeds not just across this 26 man clubhouse but all the way through your system well so this brings me to you know the, the ta- another thing that we've talked to multiple guys executives on the, on the podcast about is is how you go about locking guys up and finding that core and I know that we can't talk about the Lopez thing whatever that's fine um, but but in general terms one of the things that like for instance Alex had said in Atlanta you have one then another and another it's it's the community right it's it's not a coincidence it's not a coincidence and you have Carlos here a while you have these guys here a while um, so everyone wants to control their their absolutely. payroll right absolutely. but you gotta you gotta make sure you do it the right way right yeah absolutely I think that you know, we look at everything we just talked about was who's the person, what are we betting on over the long term? Because when you are making those, these commitments of multiple seasons in the future, you're talking about aging. You're talking about guys at different stages of their career. You're hoping that when they sign that contract, they continue to invest in themselves and get better. I, I think most, you know, by and large, most guys do. But you want to make sure you get that right guy you're betting on, not just the player on the field, but the overall approach to the game. And ultimately, I feel like for us, when we extended Jorge Blanco or Max Kepler or other guys... We felt we were betting on the right types of people. Byron Buxton a year ago, or two years ago now, you know, ultimately, those types of players, yes, there's risk. There's risk in everything we do. There's risk in every decision we make. I can't do my job thinking about what might somebody write three years down the line, or sure. what might the fans think three years down the line about it. I have to make what I think is going to set us up for success over the long term and be sustainable in extending those players and building that culture and making sure that core stays together is a critical piece to that for me. Do you think there's a better grasp of that whole extension dynamic from both sides in other words um i remember somebody telling me he said like you know players there when there was a stretch where players were really sort of pushing back on a little bit i think more so than now a few years ago because they knew more they have more information they have all the i mean they got a wave of information coming at them this is not only in terms of comps but everything about it but also all the things that you the, from the executives, from the team, they know what we should be prioritizing, maybe more than ever, and we have more information. When so, do you, and so that comes back to my question: Do you think there's a better grasp of it from both sides? Yeah, I think so. I think for you know, as as things have gone on, these were much more of a new wave, maybe 10, 12 years ago, fifteen years ago, and then maybe like you said, it kind of leveled off for a period of time. I think that what you're trying to find is the right intersection between. Where is the player comfortable with getting a certain amount of guarantee? You know, what does that look like for their lives, for their families, their careers? And then balancing that relative to the potential upside that free agency presents. And oftentimes, I think, where the best deals are done is when you find that overlap in those two risk and and, and evaluation criteria. But also when you see that maybe there's an opportunity to go to free agency again later. You're seeing these deals that might overlap where guys become free agents again at ages that may allow them to do uh, some different things. So I think that if we can find that right overlap and that right intersection, you want to know a player wants to be here for 
long period of time, you hope you can potentially buy some additional years in order to exchange for some of that security. It's also timing too, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, we, we tell a story all the time. Josh Beckett told the story, just going back to yeah. uh, the guy who pitched against Cleveland. Um, but he, I don't know if you remember, when he signed the extension with the Red Sox in 2006, he'd just come from the Marlins. July rolled around. He had an ERA of five, and he said this to me. He's like, the Red Sox were genius. And Terry Francona walks out in the middle of BP. Hey, you ain't trusted an extension. He's like, what? what, you, what you? He's like, he knows his MRI is bad. He knows he has a five ERA. Yeah. But... Like, he's like, they were geniuses. The timing was perfect. Because that's another part of this. Yeah. And I'm not saying, listen, you're walking out saying, hey, you got a five-year reg. No, no. But timing's a big part of this, right? Yeah, it is, for sure. And I think sometimes it's about knowing that you have the right um, people there and the right people you can bet on. No, no, go ahead. Keep going. And so my view of that is that you, you need to understand what's most important to the player and the player's representatives in that moment, right? And and ultimately to try and learn that. And sometimes the representatives, you know, are giving maybe a take that you learn is something that you didn't expect going in. That maybe a player got to a place and felt really secure and really liked it and felt like, you know what, I could see myself here. And that's not always the case throughout their career. So sometimes an agent will come to you with that in mind is, hey, do you guys want to explore this? Sometimes we just decided it actually might be done better a year later for a young player, you know, who comes up and says, He's not yet established at the major league level. Maybe it's why don't we all get a better sense of where he is in his career so we have a better sense of the landscape and we kick that conversation down the road. We never shut doors. So it's all about just maintaining that connection and that conversation. What do you think that you've learned the most since you started? I mean, like you said, you've had some great mentors. You've been in a great organization. But, you know, we all learn. Like, I learn every day. Our My industry changes every day. So I'm sitting here doing a podcast, right? Exactly right. So what, what do you think that you've learned the most in your time? So I would say that what I've learned most from my mentors, and I'll point to, to Mark Shapiro, Chris Anthony, Mike Chernoff, guys I worked with for a while, Tito, as guys that mentored me in this way, they showed me a model of constant and continuous learning. That the second you think you have it all figured out, you're probably wrong because something else is passing you by and you're not learning anymore. That's one kind of just general core philosophy. But I think the part that I've learned the most in the job itself is when is the time to be more decisive and take those mo- those moments. In my role, you're always going to want more information before you make a decision. You're always going to say, there's always, well, what are we missing? Well, what's one other thing I can gain insight into? Sometimes you're going to have to make a decision without all of the information in front of you perfectly. And ultimately, I think I've gotten better at that over time. And hopefully, I'll continue to get better at that. What, why does, what what goes into being a good manager? I said this on the air the other day. Like, I've known Rocco since he played here, right? I know, and from, from my perspective, it's, I love temperament. I love, like, I, I, I get, like, I'm not saying it's a be-all, end-all, yeah. but there's a lot of guys where, like, they say, oh, is he going to be a manager? I'm like, nah, it's like, that, not the right. I love Rocco's temperament. For you, and, and really, like, we've seen here where managers, it's gone in cycles where you might have a guy who need, you have to be a veteran guy who's going to stay in the, in the office and let the clubhouse rule itself, or a guy who's going to come out in the clubhouse. For you, what is, in this day and age of managing, what are some of the priorities? Yeah, I've been really fortunate to be around, you know, a few different managers, many of them, all two of them, you know, no one has had more of an impact me on that on that seat than Terry Francona. Yeah. When I learned it, and I got to know him, and I worked, you know, so closely with him for a few years 
years. And the thing that I see between him and Rocco that I see as similarities, they're different on a lot of levels. But you just talked about it. The ability to feel the vibe and the read of the clubhouse when you need to speak up as a manager, when you need to go in there and maybe have more of a voice, and when you just decide it's the right time to step back and let your leaders and let those players figure that out. I think both of them do that well. I also think there's another thing that really ties them together, and it's related to your temperament comment, which is I think the players need to know that you have their back and that you would run through a brick wall for them. I guarantee you, every one of our players, if you went to them on the field right now, said, if you ask them about Rocco Valdelli, they would say they know Rocco has my best interests at heart all the time, trying to put me in a position to be successful, and he cares about me maybe more than I care about myself on this field. And ultimately, I think that goes a long way from a leader perspective, because really that's what it is. It's not about managing a game alone. It's about leadership and about how you inspire and lead a culture in that room, and he does that tremendously It's interesting because we're talking about two different two different age groups, obviously, where you know you have Tito, the older guy, and Rocco, the younger, younger guy, and a lot of people say, well, how could Tito function so well in this day and age of baseball players? But I think you just hit the nail on the head. It comes back to the core value of of hey communications and caring yeah, right no doubt caring no doubt Tito would tell you he's also not that mature so <laughs> so I think if he did it, I would say that right here yeah, 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 that yeah, was yeah. what he'd say it's a funny way to put it but I think his view is listen it's about caring connecting with the heart connecting with the player understanding hey this game's hard right and sometimes you're looking up at the board and your batting average and your numbers up there don't look so good how do you inspire that guy to know that when you go out there and maybe you're hearing the booze and you're hearing the challenges how do you power through that to come to the other side. I think that's what that a manager is half job psychologist, oh. right? And ultimately, the in game management is important, don't get me wrong. Yeah, but so much more. They call it a manager for a reason, though. That's exactly you're right. Man- you're managing more than you're executing, I guess. Exactly right. And, and you have good, I think, Rocco, one other thing that both he and Tito did and, and tying them together, they lean on their staff. Yeah. They trust their people. They they ask their opinion. You know, Jace Tingler, our bench coach, is providing info to Rock in game and they're talking it over and when they disagree, Chase feels comfortable to disagree with them, and maybe Rocco will change his mind. That's okay. Yeah. So I think the more you incorporate your your staff, the better off you're going to be. Last thing is is I know it's early, but do you like this team? Like we talk about the evolving of decision making. Of like we talked to Hazen. Hazen said, "Well, I'm sorry, Depoto. Depoto was like, you know, there was a time where I'm making trades, I'm making trades, I'm making trades, I'm making trades. Now you have to make get players to supplement." Right, you have to get. It's a different type of player that you have to acquire. Um, as we sit here right now, do you like this team as much as any team that you put together? Yeah, I would say yes. And here's here's why. For that reason, and obviously, we had a you know tremendous 2019, won over 100 games. Felt like that was a, a, a great accomplishment, of course, but ultimately didn't achieve everything we wanted to achieve, which is win the World Series and get there and push through the playoffs. Our view of this team coming in was, as we talked about, some of the pitchers we've already talked about, the way they've come together, the way they've thrown the ball, the back end of our bullpen with guys like Duran and Lopez and Jax and Theobar, the way they're pitching. The core of our position player club, I think, is the best that we've had as a group together. Um, but I think what I what I really like about it is the way they approach the game together. You can already tell that there's a culture building, that they care about each other, that you're going to have bad nights, and you're going to pick each other up, and you're going to show up the next day, and you're going to go fight. And I think that this, this group, while talented, no question, has maybe some of those other factors that you're looking for. You talked about supplementing depth. You know, we went out and acquired Kyle Farmer and Michael Taylor and Donovan Solano and a few other guys that we thought 
thought maybe supplemented our group really well and they've played meaningful roles in the early part of our season and the success that we've had. We need to carry it through a full season. No one gets any special points for the early season. So our view is let's just keep battling every night, keep showing up the best of our ability and give ourselves the best chance. How important has Correa been? Correa has been a real game changer in terms of thinking about everything we just talked about in a different way. And what I mean by that is some of our young players and growing and developing, Carlos has been there. He's been in the World Series. He's won the World Series. He's gone through some of the challenges maybe that some of these guys haven't yet. Having a guy like that who cares about leading others, who cares about sharing some of that experience with so many others in there makes a world of difference because no matter what sometimes Rocco and I will talk about something we'll bring Carlos into the conversation maybe it's a message that Rocco delivered to a player that's a tough one to, to hear Rocco will bring Carlos in and say hey I delivered that message give him a little you know arm around from yeah. time to time Carlos will look right back and say I got you I know exactly what I'm you know he's part of the leadership team so to speak in the way that we think about it and if we're operating right I think that's how that's how it'll work it'll be organic but it'll also be a little bit of top yeah, I mean, you would you would have moved on and you would have had a team and everything else but now that he's here it's I would imagine like you're, you're sitting there and I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth but like holy mackerel life would have been a lot more difficult <laughs> if he no wasn't question. I mean it's, it's it's kind of like striking to think and I know that like everything that happened with the everyone knows what happened Absolutely. with Carlos yep. but but as you sit here like Man, can you imagine this team without him? Yeah, and you know, to, to credit him, he'd be the first to tell you right now, you know, we've gotten off to a good start, and he hasn't as, a, as an on-field player. But what's so unique about him is he knows he hasn't. He'll be fine. He'll get it going, and he'll figure out some adjustments he's trying to make. But at the same time, he's influencing all the others in a way that's saying, hey, you're picking me up right now. You know, as a young player who's found a way to help us, or, or a catcher, or someone that played made a meaningful play in a game that allowed us to win the game that we wouldn't have otherwise one, even if Carlos has maybe an 0 for 3 night, doesn't play as well, he's playing good defense, he's helping guys get better, he's influencing confidence. Those types of things go a long way over the course of a season, even if that night you might not be the guy to get the game winning hit. Awesome stuff. I really appreciate it. You're very generous with your time, and uh, and there's a, there's a, there's a baseball's and boring gift basket on the way. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Always happy to be with you.